You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Catwoman. Madam Zeroni. Lady Eloise. Yzma. You know her characters, but do you know her name? Or maybe you've heard her voice every holiday season singing Santa Baby over the radio. Or do you know her as the most exciting woman on Eartha? Well, that's how Orson Welles described her and how many people saw her as someone bold and fearless, a true star. Eartha Kitt is a household name, and it's hard to imagine life without her iconic performances. But if former President Lyndon B. Johnson and his wife, First Lady Claudia Johnson, also known as Lady Bird, had they been successful in snuffing her light out, many of us may have never remembered or even known Eartha Kitt at all. This is the remarkable story of Eartha Kitt and how she was able to overcome persistent adversity and survive being an enemy to the U.S. government. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. Eartha May Keith was born in a small town named North South Carolina, smack dab in the middle of the state. Even today, the population doesn't exceed even a thousand people. So it's not hard to imagine how few people lived there when Eartha Keith was born January 17, 1927. It gave off a more small town vibe, and Eartha truly never really fit in. She felt like an ugly duckling. For starters, she was incredibly light. Her mother had African and indigenous ancestry, and her father was a white man. Rumors swirled about how exactly she came to be and who her father was. Eartha remembers having a brief encounter with a man. When she was a child, she met this man, and she felt that maybe that man was her father. It was widely believed that Eartha was conceived out of the result of a rape. Her family worked as sharecroppers on a farm that was formerly a plantation, as many black families in the early 1900s did. It was believed that the owner's son raped Anna Mae Keith, Eartha's mother, leaving her pregnant and destitute. Other people believed that Eartha's mother had a fling with a different white man, Daniel Sturkey, who was a town doctor that lived nearby. But either way, because her father was a white man and unmarried to her mother, he was absolutely not going to be listed on the birth certificate. The mystery surrounding who her father was will remain a secret to Eartha for the rest of her life. She never would know who her father was, even though she came close a couple of times. In her older age, the students at the University of Columbia in South Carolina would help her find a birth certificate because she was doing a benefit there. They found it, but she would never get the name she was looking for due to legal red tape. 
Her mother did the best she could considering the situation that was presented in front of them. But Eartha's family wanted very little to do with her mother or her younger sister Pearl. Eartha was labeled Yella. This referred to her complexion and biracial ancestry. It meant that she was too light to be considered part of the family. Now, this isn't even a reverse colorism issue. This is more about Eartha's conception and proximity to whiteness. Her presence represented trouble in the eyes of the family. It was a reminder of the man that their sister was involved with. So, they ended up being homeless. They bounced from house to house, slept in the woods, stole food, and did what they had to do to survive. In Eartha's book, Thursday's Child, she recalls her uncle sending them away and saying that he didn't want that yellow girl in his house, not even allowing them to sleep in the yard. They would continue to bounce around until her mother met a man who was willing to take care of her. Emphasis on her. He felt the same way about Eartha as everyone else did. He also didn't want that yellow girl in his house. She pled and she begged the man to let them all stay, but he would not relent. And at this moment, Eartha's mother made a decision. She decided to give Eartha up to another relative, but she didn't want her children separated, so Eartha and her younger sister Pearl would go together to live with this relative, and her mother would continue to live her life without her children. But that life would be cut short. Eartha found out that her birth mother had not only died, but had been murdered. The word on the street was that her stepdaughters weren't really a fan of Anna Mae and poisoned her. They sprinkled what they described as a red seasoning on her food, which led to her becoming more and more ill. She spent her last days in agony before dying a painful, sudden death. Eartha was heartbroken. Even though her mother had abandoned her, she still felt that they had a connection. Worst of all, there was no possibility that Eartha's mother was going to come back and save her and Pearl. Save them from what exactly? Eartha and her sister were living in an incredibly abusive home with that relative that I mentioned earlier. Eartha called her the stern woman. She had to work to maintain her access to food and shelter. She worked in the fields, worked with the cows, and did any chores asked of her. The two younger children who lived there beat and terrorized her mercilessly. She recalls an incident where they stripped her down to her underwear and whipped her when the adults weren't around and threatened to do it again if she ever told. To cope with all the stress, she began eating dirt and smoking cigarettes. She couldn't have been more than around seven years old at the time. Her only salvation was an unknown rich auntie that lived in New York. She would often send clothes down and other goodies for her and her sister Pearl. And one day, that aunt sent for her. Living up north in Harlem with her aunt Mamie was a huge adjustment. There was no outhouse, but instead an indoor bathroom. No more candlelight, but electricity, radios, and TVs. It was a huge culture shock coming from North South Carolina. But over time, Eartha began to get acclimated. She made friends and she performed in church plays and at school. She was known for her unique voice even at a young age and all was well for the time being. She would also attend the Metropolitan Vocational High School. The school would later be renamed the High School of Performing Arts. Over the course of time, it would develop a star-studded list of attendees and alumni. 
including Robert De Niro, Liza Minnelli, Omar Epps, Jennifer Aniston, Zazie Beetz, and many, many more. Eartha was starting to fall in love with the stage while at this school. Unfortunately, as she grew older, things gradually got worse and worse between her and her Aunt Mamie. Aunt Mamie wanted her to behave exactly the way she wanted when she wanted. She didn't have much experience with children. They fought often and Eartha began spending more and more time away from home. She would leave home early and stay out all night just to avoid the tension with her aunt. This began the cycle of Eartha getting kicked out, being accused of running away, and coming back home. When things were bad, Eartha was homeless and hiding. She was missing school and wandering the city at night. She even recalls sleeping outside on rooftops at times. She lied about her age at one point to get a job as a seamstress. She was only 15 at this time. Her aunt found out about her job and informed her employer about her age, and she was forced to go home. Finally, things got so bad that Eartha decided to make her own way and leave for good. She recalls feeling like she was in her aunt's way. One evening, she decided to go to the movies with her friend. She remembers it being crowded and wanting to leave, but her friend insisted that they stay. So she made the best out of a weird situation. But once the show is over, they chatted outside the theater and they saw a girl in need and she decided to extend her kindness. The lost girl was looking for the makeup shop, but, but Eartha remembers telling the girl she was much too beautiful for makeup. The girl explained that she worked for Catherine Dunham and that she was a dancer. That's why she needed the makeup. Eartha saw this as her way into the show business. She would love to meet Miss Dunham, and she agreed to show the girl where the makeup shop was if she could make the introduction happen, and they struck a deal. Now, the Catherine Dunham Dance Company was a huge deal. It was known for nurturing talent, especially black talent. She showed up, auditioned, and was a complete natural. She walked away with a full scholarship. Now that she earned her spot, she had to work to maintain it. Life was still hard. They were paid just enough to get by or a little less in some cases. Safety was also an issue. She even nearly escaped being raped. Relationship drama also was following close behind. She had fallen head over heels in love with a white man named Charlie. She was absolutely smitten for Charlie. Now, this was the 1940s. A white man didn't just stroll down the street with a woman like Eartha Kid, But still, they loved each other. Overall, these were difficult times, but rewarding times. She was able to dance and spend time with the man of her dreams. That is, until Charlie revealed to her that he was actually engaged. His family preferred he be with someone they approved of. She was heartbroken, but convinced by Charlie that maybe one day he would leave the woman he was with. But even worse, Charlie's passion was becoming possessive and violent. So when the opportunity presented itself, she was off to Europe with the dance company to make a name for herself. Another adjustment, another strange land, but she had done it before as a child, so this wasn't something that she wasn't capable of handling. Before she left for Europe, she made amends with her aunt, who revealed she had actually saved up money for her. It was also rumored that the aunt revealed to her that she was Eartha's actual mother. This was very confusing, but in the end, Eartha took no issue with calling Aunt Mamie her mother. She performed her heart out in Europe, and in her free time, she practiced and explored. She tried new foods, met with new people, biked around the city, dated, and spent time with her friends. They went all around Europe, Sweden, Paris, London. She soaked up every experience she could while she was there. 
She had been planning on visiting her aunt again, but the performing was getting in the way. She was even approached by Fred to perform at their nightclub. Fred was openly lesbian and a huge deal in the Paris social and nightclub scene. Fred had seen one of Eartha's shows and recognized her talent. Fred wanted to hire Eartha as a performer. She was incredibly flattered and flying high. Nothing better than getting a job offer just off your work alone. Someone saw her and knew she deserved a spot, but her employer, Miss Dunham, was about to send her emotions crashing to the ground. It wouldn't really be good luck to have someone in her company performing for someone else. She wanted exclusivity. Their agent explained that if she decided to pursue this opportunity, then the ability to work abroad would be in jeopardy, and he would see to it that she be deported. But Eartha was not the type to be easily intimidated. She knew what she had to do, and then, in just a few moments, she had drafted her two weeks' notice. Fred looked out for her, and she was able to continue performing abroad. Not only that, but Eartha was about to receive a significant raise. She was going to be paid about $245 U.S. dollars a week. That's about $3,000 a week today. Whereas with her old company, she was previously making $90 a week. She was given money to shop for her performances. This was a dream come true. She quickly became well-known throughout Paris. Men especially saw her as a sex symbol and loved to watch her perform. But this high-flying feeling, this climb to the top, was about to take a detour. There was a phone call from America. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. America. Eartha's mother had been dead for days before she finally received the news. When she returned home, she was surrounded by family that felt like strangers. All of the memories and the pain from her childhood came back and stung. But she would do it for her aunt, who more realistically was her mother. Even in more recent years, Eartha found it strange how no one seemed to remember the mistreatment she endured as a child. It was all fake love all of a sudden. Eartha stayed in the States for a few months before deciding that it was time for her to go back to Paris. Her career was taking off there. Her friends were there. Her life was there. And with her aunt gone, there was no real reason to stick around. But fate would pull her back to the States once again. People began telling her that Orson Welles was looking for her. He was in Europe and saw her perform. He was obsessed. And if you didn't know who Orson Welles is, he directed, wrote, and produced many, many films, including the classic movie Citizen Kane. He is brought up in film discussions for his work to this day. He, like Fred, saw talent in Eartha Kitt, and he was aching to work with her. He had to meet her, and being in a position of power, he made it happen. He wanted her to star as Helen of Troy in his production of Dr. Faustus. Her performance received rave reviews from critics. They became good friends. They learned from each other and worked together. Rumors would swirl that there was more going on between them, but Eartha insisted that their relationship was simply professional, something the public seems to have a hard time wrapping their head around. And just like that, her career skyrocketed. At this time, it's the early 1950s. She performed iconic songs, including, but not limited to, Santa Baby and Ceci Bon. In fact, she sang in four different languages, German, Dutch, French, and English. 
She starred in movies alongside actors such as Sidney Poitier and Sammy Davis Jr., who she was also rumored to be involved with. She performed her iconic role as Catwoman in the 1960s Batman TV series. She would be the first black woman to perform this role and pave the way for black people to be superheroes on the big screen years and decades from then. She became friends with superstars like James Dean and Marilyn Monroe. The ups and downs of her love life were persistent, but Eartha was resilient, and after several ups and downs, she finally married John William MacDonald. He wasn't an actor or anything, but he was also a white man like her former lover, Charlie. Of course, she received a lot of criticism for this. People wanted to know why she didn't date and marry a black man. She explained that black men never really seemed interested in wanting to marry her. She recalls Harry Belafonte saying that being with a black woman would do nothing to advance his career. Racism aside, Eartha felt that it was important that people be allowed to have experiences and love who they want to love. They were married June 9, 1960, seven years before the Loving v. Virginia case, which legalized interracial marriage. California, where they lived, was a little ahead of the nation, having opened the doors to interracial marriage in 1948. And they would have one daughter together, named Kit McDonald. And when you watch interviews of Eartha talking about her daughter, there's so much love there. Even though things didn't work out between her and John, they divorced about four years later. Kit was such an amazing gift that came out of that relationship. You can also follow Kit McDonald on TikTok if you want to hear her stories about her mother, Eartha Kit. Around this same time, Eartha really ramped up her activism. She had always been really passionate about social causes, and in 1966, she established Kitsville, which was a nonprofit to help children out in L.A., she also joined the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom and worked with an organization called Rebels with a Cause, which helped provide access to trades and education to underserved communities. She's photographed with Muhammad Ali, and she talks about the time that she had conversations with Malcolm X and wanted him and Martin Luther King Jr. to be able to find some type of common ground, even having spoken with him just a few weeks before he was killed. And now we've arrived at the moment that almost destroyed her career. Because of her status and because of her work in the community, Eartha Kitt received an invitation to the Do-Gooders Luncheon, held by the First Lady at the time, Claudia Johnson, a.k.a. Lady Bird. Lots of First Ladies take up causes they are passionate about. I'm sure we all remember Michelle Obama and the school lunches. Now, Lady Bird was huge into beautification of cities and lower-income areas. She also supported the Head Start program, which helped invest in childhood nutrition, daycare, early education, etc. So you can see how the things that she was passionate about lined up with the work that Eartha was doing at the time. But Eartha was hesitant to attend. Was this going to be a meaningful conversation or a bunch of fluff? When Eartha was invited to this luncheon along with 50 other women, the topic of the invitation focused on delinquent youth, so she decided to give it a shot. Eartha was excited to bring what she had heard from the children she worked with to this discussion. They expressed to her that they were all concerned about this war. They used pot to self-medicate those worries away and did not see the point in investing in their future just to be drafted. Quick history lesson on the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was incredibly controversial and is even more controversial to this day now that we know a lot more things. It cost the United States a lot of money, a lot of lives, and a lot of people saw it as a war that was completely unnecessary. The nation was divided on our need for involvement. Nevertheless, 
It was a fight about communism and is considered one of the only wars that the United States has lost. And because the war was so unpopular, Americans were slow to sign up to join this war. So instead, the draft was deemed necessary. The American youth did not want to go out and fight a war that they didn't believe in. They didn't want to harm people that they felt like were no threat to them. The draft, also known as selective service, is where you are called upon to serve with or without your consent in the matter as long as you are deemed physically fit and of age. It's basically a lottery, so it's based on age and your birthday. So you know how at night they do the lottery numbers and they pull a ball from the little cage and it has a little number on back. Well, back then, the number on that ball was represented with a date. And if your birthday was called, then you would be drafted. This happened to Muhammad Ali and Elvis Presley. If you refused to go to war, you were threatened with prison time. So with a situation like that, it's no wonder that Americans were protesting in the streets and engaging in behavior that was considered and probably is still considered to be delinquent. Hi, I'm Michael Troy, host of the American Revolution podcast on the Airwave Media Network. This podcast is the origin story of the United States, how we went from colonies ruled by a king to the democratic republic that we enjoy today. The American Revolution podcast tells the story of the revolution from beginning to end, starting with the events leading up to the war, including a look at the French and Indian War and pre-war disputes. We then go through the war itself and eventually reach the founding of a new nation based on principles of democratic government. Along the way, there are lots of great stories of both selfishness and sacrifice, some unbelievable human achievements, and some all-too-familiar examples of greed, self-dealing, and betrayal. Please subscribe for free to the American Revolution podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. I hope you will join me today on the American Revolution podcast. On January 18, 1968, the luncheon took place. Eartha wasn't starstruck by the president or the first lady. She was there to make her voice known and to make a difference. She was about business. Eartha's philosophy was that education was the key to empowerment, and she wanted to share this philosophy with the other women. She recalls some of them being more concerned with the brand of China they were eating off of. She quickly learned that the other women there didn't exactly share the same sentiments or focus. They talked a lot about planting flowers and trees and how that would improve crime. Now, there are studies that show investing in an area can encourage the community to do the same, but more importantly, the link between poverty and crime is what Eartha wanted to discuss. The other women, however, just fawned over the First Lady. When the women were beginning to go up one by one, President Lyndon B. Johnson entered the room. Everyone was so excited that the president had made an appearance, but Eartha had some questions. When he was done speaking on his way out, she stood up and asked the president, rather than focusing on delinquent youth, why don't we focus on delinquent parents who aren't given the resources to spend time with their children because they're working or what have you? Lyndon B. Johnson towered over six foot four, but Eartha stood tall. He went on about a new daycare bill that they were rolling out, but that didn't really address her question. She was talking about children at all ages, and he closed his response by saying that when it comes to raising children, that's mainly women's work, and the women in this discussion would be better people to ask about raising children, and don't take my word for it. Here's some audio of that exchange. Let me ask about delinquent, uh, delinquency across the United States, which we're all interested in, and that's why we're here today. But what do we do about delinquent parents? The parents who have to go to work, for instance, who can't spend the time with their children that they should. 
This is, I think, is our main problem. What do we do with the children then when the parents are off working? Well, the Social Security bill just passed this year. It sets up millions and millions of dollars for daycare centers for mothers can take them to That's one step that we're taking. That comes from, that's approved by a bunch of men who are really not the, uh, the, the best judges of uh, how to handle children otherwise. I think that'd be a very good question for you to ask yourself and other women here, and y'all tell me what you The look on her face when he dismissed her. You can see the frustration in her eyes. And she sat down as soon as he turned to walk out the door. Everyone else stood up and applauded. Ladybird became increasingly frustrated with Eartha throughout the luncheon. Eartha didn't clap. She raised her hand too much. And she didn't participate in the way that Ladybird wanted her to. When she raised her hand to ask questions or provide comments, she was ignored. And when Eartha finally did speak out and was given an opportunity to comment on the Ladybird's responses... She said she felt just because there was a war going on, I see no reason to be uncivilized. And what exactly were the comments that Eartha made next? Well, Eartha became increasingly frustrated and proclaimed, you send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. They rebel in the street. They will take pot and they will get high. They don't want to go to school because they're going to be snatched off from their mothers to be shot in Vietnam. She also stated that it's not a mystery that the kids in America are turning to a life of delinquency. They are rebelling against the state of this country. They are rebelling against the war. An uncomfortable silence filled the room. Although some of the women may have agreed with her, a lot of the women in the room had husbands that worked for the president himself. They wouldn't dare stand up and agree. The press latched onto this moment and rumors spread that the ladybird burst into tears at the comments that Eartha Kitt had made. They claimed that she ruined the luncheon completely and totally embarrassed the first lady. Now the tears the first lady allegedly shed, have since been debunked by her, but being embarrassed was 100% accurate. Eartha had this to say in response to the ladybird's embarrassment. It was apparently an embarrassing moment for Mrs. Johnson. Do you have any regrets about that? No, I don't have any regrets about it at all. Why should I be upset by the fact that she was embarrassed? That's her problem. But what Eartha didn't know at the time was that this slight would cost her everything. The Ladybird wanted Eartha canceled, and not canceled how we think about it today, but truly canceled, gutted from performing and from the American public. And Lyndon B. Johnson was happy to make his wife happy. After the luncheon, there wasn't even a White House car to take her back to her hotel. Two hours later, Eartha's career was over, even though she didn't know that yet. Not long after this incident, Eartha picked up the phone to confirm that she was still going to be opening at the Ambassador Hotel in L.A., she wanted to iron out all the details before the show. But when she called, they insisted that they did not have a contract with her. And she knew for a fact that she did have a contract with them. And they wouldn't be the first venue to act like they had never worked with her before. All of her regular acts canceled. Her phone simply stopped ringing. And Eartha really wasn't sure why. She wondered maybe her time in the spotlight was just coming to a close. She had no idea it had anything to do with the luncheon, mainly because Eartha believed in America, and as such, in this country, she was allowed to speak out and up for the American people. The thought hadn't even crossed her mind that exercising this right was the reason she was being shunned. 
During this time, Eartha also felt like she was being watched and that her phone was being bugged. But again, she didn't know why she couldn't put her finger on the source of the treatment she was receiving. She just knew in her gut something was happening. And rather than going broke and going out of work in the United States, she decided to go back to Europe. She continued her career in Europe and Asia, performing because she could not get work in the United States. In 1975, seven years after the incident, Eartha was about to get some answers. She was getting ready to go play in the snow with her family. She was about to figure out why she had been outcasted. A man by the name of Seymour Hirsch called her and let her know that there was a CIA dossier on her. He had a small portion of it and was able to pass it along to Eartha and publish his findings. The dossier contained all of this random dirt on Eartha. Well, you can hardly call it dirt. They talked to every and anyone they could about her, former lovers, colleagues, anybody. And the worst thing that they could have come up with was that Eartha had a very active sex life. She was noted as being a shallow and sadistic nymphomaniac. Eartha Kitt was hurt and shocked. It also mentioned specifically that her being unable to work was specifically at the request of Lady Bird and President Johnson. So not the media or the public, the president and his wife. They asked her and invited her for her opinion, and when they didn't like it, they put her out of work. This was not what Eartha felt represented the true values of America. Eartha often says that she was not blacklisted, but that she was whitelisted. She made the wrong white woman mad in America. We all know how dangerous that can be historically for black people in this country. She spent nearly 10 years without performing in the country that she was born in, a country that she was a citizen of. And just when it seemed that there was no work in sight back home for her, Eartha Kitt got a phone call from director Jeffrey Holder, a black man who offered her a role in the musical Timbuktu. It was a comeback. In this moment, Eartha felt that she finally could continue her career. And of course, the audience loved her. They even gave her a standing ovation. President Jimmy Carter invited her to the White House for the 10th anniversary of the reopening of Ford's Theater. Once again in January, almost 10 years to the day after the luncheon, he welcomed her home and said, I'm glad to have you back. With these actions, the ban had been lifted. And if you think for one second that after all this, she held her tongue or silenced herself, you would be absolutely wrong. That same year in 1978, she spoke about the incident, the luncheon, in an interview on The Dick Cavett Show. Uh, sleazy it certainly is. Um, well, I'm glad that's over. I hope you're not... Are you bitter about that, ticked off, that experience, or just somewhere in between? I'm not ticked off and I'm not bitter. I'm disappointed, yes, mm -hmm. that our government has, has fallen down uh, the way they have and had promised the American people so much and have not come through. I'm still sitting here waiting for the 40 acres and a mule. <laughs> <laughs> well, before they arrive, would you do something for us? Um, we went to the expense of getting three of the best-known out-of-work musicians in town. Uh, Bobby Rosengarten, and Milt Hinton, and, and Tom Faye. Faye, yes? Yes. You will sing for us, won't you? Oh, yes, I will. So you She continued to speak out about inequality of civil rights for all people, including the LGBTQ plus community. She loved to garden and spend time with the youth and her daughter, Kit, who was also her assistant. She went on to perform at the inaugural ball for Ronald Reagan and was invited to the White House by George Bush to perform at the National Christmas Tree Lighting. She also stayed booked and busy until she passed on Christmas Day in 2008 at the age of 81 from colon cancer. 
we are left with these wise words from the legend during her 2008 National Visionary Leadership Project Wisdom Award acceptance speech. And above all else, remember not to make ourselves small for anyone. Until next time. I didn't know what to feel, but something was grinding in me. And it was not hatred, because I do realize through the years that we have been conditioned to certain things that we all have to grow out of. To learn how to live with one another, be with one another, and not think in terms of what color we are, what race we are, and what religion we are. That's why I am so glad to be an American, because this is where we can do it. My daughter and I have lived in various areas of the world. And no matter what kind of reception I have received in these foreign countries, I always want to come home. This podcast episode was written and researched by Jordan Howard, edited and narrated by Andre White. If you like this episode of the Redacted History Podcast, consider giving us a like, a rating, and review. But more importantly, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you like us and you want to support us and help us to create more content, go subscribe to us on Patreon. You can find the link to Patreon in the show notes below. Also, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's about to be a bunch of content, a flood of content, if you will, on the YouTube channel, the Redacted History channel, that's also linked in the show notes below. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.